Take your Bible and would you turn to 2 Samuel chapter 6. I really love this passage that we're going to study tonight. And um, it's a brief little passage. There's not much here. So if we aren't reading carefully as we're reading through our Bibles, it might be easy to miss it. But this is about just one man. He isn't really talked about very much. I don't think I've ever preached a message about him in 30 years. But he provides a really powerful example to us. And before we kind of study him and what uh, his life means to us, let's get a little bit of context and then we'll read our passage. This text takes place, if you know your, your Bible and you do, um, it takes place right after David has become king. The passage is right before the um, passage right before it um, talks about Israel wanting to move the ark of the Lord. Um, it had been in the tabernacle kind of traveling around, and now David has a strong desire for it to be in Jerusalem. So Israel's just defeated the Philistines. That's the end of chapter 5, one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Um, we're at Baal Perazim, the place of breakthrough. Uh, David prays twice, and God gives the victory, and then they decide to transport the ark. But the problem is, um, in verses 1 to 5, that the way they transported the ark was wrong. Instead of it being carried on the poles by the priests, as God had very clearly specified uh, in the law, instead they put it on a cart that's pulled by some oxen, and, and they try to travel down a hill. And as the ark is traveling down the hill, um, it starts to slip, and a man named Uzzah, who's kind of walking alongside it, reaches out to try to steady it. Now, that angers the Lord very, very greatly, and he instantly strikes Uzzah down and kills him. And that seems like, and I've always struggled with that, it seems like kind of a harsh response. And even David, you can see, gets very angry with the Lord. He, he's very volatile in his reaction uh, because he doesn't believe the Lord did the right thing by, by striking Uzzah down. But we need to remember, again, that the ark represents the presence of the Lord. This was considered the presence of the Lord. And we see in verse 2 that it's described as the ark of God, which is called by the name. The very name of the Lord of hosts, who was enthroned above the cherubim. In other words, this was the place where the Lord came and resided, where he sat on the ark, which had a mercy seat on top that had cherubim reaching out their wings and stretching out. And that was the place where the Lord, when it was put in the holy place of the tabernacle, that was where they would come in and ask God for his mercy. It was the place of his presence at all times. So the Lord's reminding his people now, hey, you need to understand the awesomeness of my presence. You need to understand the awesomeness of my power and how serious I am that you respect my presence. That's why we can't come in here tonight just kind of flippantly and, okay, well, we're going to come to prayer. We, we're in the presence of God. We talked about that at the very start of the meeting. We're the holy presence of God tonight. And he says about Uzzah in verse 7, he says, he was being irreverent in touching the ark. Now, after David's initial anger, verse 9 tells us that he became very afraid of the Lord. And I want to read here what happens, starting in verse 6, and we'll read down to verse 11, and we'll kind of review what I just said. But, but look at how the Lord responds to this. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, 
Uzzah reached out toward the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen nearly upset it. And the anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah, and God struck him down there for his irreverence, and he died there by the ark of God. David became angry because of the Lord's outburst against Uzzah, and that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. So David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? And David was unwilling to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David with him. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Thus the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Now go back to verse 9, because it says that David was afraid of the Lord. Now that's an amazing statement for somebody who had the heart of God who was so close to God above anybody else in Israel that you would think of all people, David would understand what God's doing and David would be kind of, uh, quote-unquote, comfortable with interacting from the Lord. But, but what we see here is a very important spiritual principle, and that is that we need to maintain a strong fear of the Lord. A strong fear of the Lord. We don't talk about fear of the Lord enough. And that, that applies to everything in terms of how we live. Applies in terms of putting off sin and hating sin. The Bible says there should be no appearance of evil. Don't even joke about what's being done in secret. That, that our hatred of sin and our putting off of sin should be complete. That we should be scared. I mean literally terrified of ever offending the Lord. That we should value time in his presence. That we should be humbled by that. That we should share the news of his grace to everybody we come in contact with. That we should be building each other up in love and spiritual formation all the time. This passage is very important because it shows there can never be, or there should never be, a carelessness or a flippancy in our attitude toward the Lord. See, the problem was they made a mistake and how they transported the ark. If you go back to verse 1, it says that David gathered 30,000 soldiers to kind of form this. Have you ever seen one of those uh, army parades in North Korea or China where they're all walking and, and they're just troop after troop? That's what this was like. David didn't bring this out as, as the presence of God. He brought it out as like a trophy of war, like a weapon of war. So he gets 30,000 soldiers to all kind of march before and, and they're transporting the ark, but they're doing it the wrong way. They put it on a cart pulled by a couple unclean oxen. It never should have been pulled that way. It never should have been transported that way. And there was kind of this careless disregard for the Lord, this, this subtle disobedience that creates the problem that we see in verse 6 that Uzzah tries to kind of fix when the ark slips. And it shows that whenever something is done or whenever someone is doing something that disrespects God's word, we should get very far away from it. Let me say that again. Whenever there's something being done or someone that is working against the word of God, we should get far away from it. That's why when I was standing in the voting line today, I just started praying, Lord, Lord, just bring people into authority who respect and uphold your word, just like we just prayed for. Just, just, just the right people, Lord. I know there aren't many out there among all the politicians that are getting elected tonight. Over 400 congressmen, a bunch of mayors, a bunch of senators. Like, there's, there's probably not a lot of really spirit-filled righteous people in that bunch, right? But, but there are people that the Lord can raise up 
and it may be a surprise. I, I, I want to be surprised tonight. I want to be surprised by the righteous results that God wants to bring. Now, I don't know necessarily what that looks like, but I want to be sure of it. When I see those results tonight on the news, I want to be able to say, that was the Lord. Look, look at what the Lord's done. He's brought people into place that are going to stand for him. Now, go back to verse 9. Notice that the fear of the Lord is what caused David to stop what he was doing. It's very important when we know the Lord is convicting us, or even when we just sense, we just sense. You ever had that, that sense? This is not of the Lord. This, this does not seem right. The t that's not the time to keep plowing ahead. Well, it'll, it'll be okay, and I guess the Lord will probably stop me if I just keep going ahead. No, when you know in your heart, when you know in your conviction, this is not of the Lord, that is the time to stop. It is the time to pray for clear discernment from the Lord and then to follow his leading on whatever the course of action is. If you look at verse 10, it says David was unwilling to move the ark of the Lord. I don't think that's a rebellious spirit like, all right, well, Lord, I'm angry with you. I'm not moving the ark. I don't think that's that. I think he's saying, I'm terrified of making the wrong move at this point because clearly we did the wrong thing. So, Lord, I'm going to stop. And we're going to ask you for discernment. David is unwilling to move the ark. The logic says get it to Jerusalem as fast as possible. Because that would be the place where the Lord will be honored. But there's a check in his spirit here that I want us to notice. That continuing to do the same thing will only exacerbate the Lord's discipline. Because clearly what they had done the first time was wrong. And when we hear that conviction in our heart, we have to pause. We have to wait on the Lord to clearly invite us to proceed rather than assuming it's going to be okay or bargaining or justifying or whatever we want to do at that point. It's, it's fascinating to me, and I want to get to Obed-Edom in a second. It's fascinating that David doesn't feel any peace about bringing it to Jerusalem. Because remember, there's no temple at this point. In fact, if you go into the next chapter, he doesn't feel the conviction about building a temple until chapter 7. And at that point, he says, you know, it's not right that we keep putting the ark of God, the presence of God in some tent. We need to build an actual temple for him. Because he doesn't feel like how the ark's being treated is worthy. Now, the solution that he comes up with, and this is where I want to spend the rest of our time, in verse 10, says that instead of taking the ark to Jerusalem... David took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Now, the Gittites were from the town and the area of Gath. Gath was the Philistine city that Goliath had come from. And apparently, the king of Gath, we see earlier in, in 1 Samuel, had been kind to David when he was running from Saul. And when David became king, there were 600 men from Gath that started to follow David. Now, that doesn't mean there were Philistines, because there was a large group of Levites. That was the priestly tribe, the tribe of Levi. There was a large group of Levites in that region. And apparently, this man, verse 10, Obed-Edom, was one of them. Because he's entrusted with guarding the ark. Only the Levites could deal with the ark. Only the Levites could get near the ark. Which is why earlier God strikes down Uzzah for touching the ark. Because he wasn't a Levite. And the Lord becomes very specific here and says that, that only the Levites can touch the ark. So David 
shows up at Obed-Edom's house. Look at verse 10. David was unwilling to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David, but he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom. Now, think about being Obed-Edom at this point. You're in your house. You know that David's nearby. You know there's been this trouble with the ark. And all of a sudden, knock at the door, and you open the door, and there's the king of Israel. And he says to you, I would like the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to stay in your house. Now, I was really struck by the implication of that tonight because Obed-Edom's in a very interesting position. And I think there's great relevance here in just the next couple minutes we're going to study. I think there are four significant repercussions of Obed-Edom taking the ark into his house. On the back of your song sheet, there's some place for notes if you want to write some things down. But I love this passage because it teaches us so many things about what happens when we receive the presence of the Lord, when we dwell in the presence of the Lord. The first thought is that having the ark in his house openly identifies Obed-Edom as living for the Lord. There's no way he can hide. There's no way he can be a secret Christian or a secret follower of God or, or, or somebody that's kind of living his faith in private. This calls him out. This openly identifies him as living for the Lord. Now again, the ark is the presence of the Lord and it's not to be handled lightly because the Lord says, this is the place of my presence. And he had established very specific rules about who could be near it, how it was treated, what, what could be done in his presence. So, so for it to be in your house for three months, how many know that's a little bit of pressure? That you've got the ark. I mean, this is the, this is the one thing that is the presence of the Lord, and it's now living in your house. And what struck me about that is Obed-Edom now is called to a new level of consecration and dedication to the Lord. And it starts with everybody knowing that in his house was the ark. Now let me ask you a couple questions here. And I'm asking these of myself. Am I willing to be publicly known as someone who lives for the Lord without hesitation or shame? And would I be willing to be put on the spot like Obed-Edom is, having that kind of responsibility on me and on my house? And that's an interesting question because Obed-Edom doesn't seek this out. When Uzzah dies and David says, I'm not going to Jerusalem, Obed-Edom doesn't step up and say, hey, tell you what, David, let me take it to my house. It'll be fine. He's minding his own business, and David comes to his door, and the Lord chooses him. Now, why would the Lord choose him? Out of all the people in the whole Bible, why does God tell us four verses about Obed-Edom the Gittite? Well, apparently, it was because he was godly and he was faithful. And God was looking for somebody who would be godly and faithful and honor his word. And that goes back to what we studied Sunday, right? When we're faithful in the little things, the Lord will often use that to work through us and bless us in miraculous ways. So Obed-Edom can't hide. He's called out. He now is identifying as living for the Lord. Second responsibility I want you to see is that his personal and home life now had to be fully surrendered to the Lord. 
Everything about his house had to be consecrated because if the Lord instantly put Uzzah to death for trying to steady the ark, probably with good intentions, and trying to prevent it from falling on the ground, how much more now is the Lord going to hold Obed-Edom and his family to a standard of absolute holiness when the ark is in their den? Right? I mean, Uzzah's just trying, whoa, 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 let's study the ark. He dies. Now David shows up, and he has the ark, and he says, this is going in your den. Now, you can't really avoid the ark of the covenant if it's in your den, right? You, you sit down for dinner, and you look over, and five feet away, there's the manifest presence of the Lord. There, there's the box that, that, that is covered in gold with the cherubim with their wings touching the mercy seat of God, the place where they brought and they shed the blood on the mercy seat and asked God on the Day of Atonement for forgiveness. I mean, you, 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 you wake up in the morning, there's the ark. You come home from work, there's the ark. You go down for a bowl of cereal in the middle of the night, there's the ark. You can't get away from it. And it had to be guarded and attended to and you can't touch it, and you can't move it. It is constantly with you, and that's far from a bad thing. It's the highest honor. Now, translate that to our lives, because we're told in Scripture that we have the presence of the Lord in us. Not in our den. We have him in our hearts. The Spirit of God indwells us. So here's the next question. How do we live? Do we live with the same respect and awe and dedication to unwavering holiness as if the ark was sitting in our house? Because the Bible tells us that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's a powerful principle, and we kind of say, well, I'm a temple, my body's a temple. No, no, take that as seriously as it is. There is a serious implication to that truth. I am called to be a temple of God's Spirit, a temple of His presence. How differently would we feel tonight if when we walked into our house for after prayer meeting and we got home and we're exhausted and we throw the keys down and we take off our coat and we look into our den and the Ark of the Covenant's sitting there? W would you just go get a sandwich at that point? Like, oh, hey, it's the Ark. Cool. Cool. All right. Well, that's, that's really, I don't know, it doesn't really match our furniture, but we'll go with it. We'll go with it. Covered in gold, mercy seat of God, place of atonement. I, I mean, you can't really ignore that, right? What we have been given, listen now, is much more serious and much more powerful because we have the presence of the Lord in us every day for eternity, not just for three months. It's not just a temporary stopover at the house. It is who we are. How does that affect our personal lives? How does that affect how we live? How does it affect the atmosphere of our homes? How does it affect the stand we take for the Lord? Because if you're a believer tonight, you are a Obed-Edom. So what are you and I doing to show humility and respect for the presence of the Lord in our lives. And, and then it gets even more interesting than that because by taking the ark into his home and by his, by his identification with the Lord, look at the third impact. It puts him on the front line of the spiritual battle. For Obed-Edom, 
even though he now lived in a place called Perez Uzzah, which was a, a little town just outside of Jerusalem, he had a target now. Everybody knew, where's the ark? It's in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the region is still full of people who are very hostile to the Lord. You know, the Philistines, if you go back to 1 Samuel, they had captured the ark at one point in battle, and they had put it in the house of Dagon, their god. And you want an interesting story to read tonight before bed. Read 1 Samuel 4-6 to and see what God did when they defiled the ark and put it in the, the temple of Dagon. It's, it's a powerful, powerful account. So the Philistines hated the Jews. They had taken the ark at one point. They got it back. And then there had been a constant war. There had been a constant battle from the time Saul become, became king. It's in 1 Samuel 13, 14, 17, 29, 31. And if you look back to the chapter before 2 Samuel 5, there's another war. So the Philistines were constantly fighting. Now Obed-Edom gets what everybody knows throughout the region, including the Philistines. That's the presence of the Jewish God. That's the presence of the Lord. And it's in his den. So don't you think that the Philistines now are going, hmm, that shouldn't be too hard to penetrate. Maybe we can steal it again. How many know being in the middle of warfare is never an easy place? We've all experienced it. Facing personal and relational and social opposition because we take a stand for our faith. And the hostility, as I said earlier, toward Christianity is so dramatically increased in the 10 years past. I've never seen more of an open war against the Bible. I've never seen more of an open war against the people who believe in the Bible. And no matter how the election goes tonight, we are going to see that ramped up. Because if the people who hate the Lord don't win... There is going to be a new push to stir people up to fight the Bible and fight Christians to offset them not getting their way. And if the people who hate the Lord do win, we're going to see a new round of legislation designed to legally restrict biblical conviction. Either way, there's going to be opposition. It's not going to go away. So we have to determine in our hearts, are we going to capitulate and just kind of be quiet and say, mm, I don't want the presence of the Lord in my den. Mm-mm-mm. Mm-mm. That's going to create all kinds of stuff. Or do we take a stand for the Lord? Because look back at it one more time. Obed-Edom takes the ark into his home. And he accepts all the implications that go with it. So if you've confessed your sins and trusted in Christ and been transformed into a new person and been dwelt, in, been dwelt by his Holy Spirit and surrendered your life, to be Lord, the same implications are on you and me with even greater responsibility. Now, that, if we stop there, that's like, whew, that was kind of heavy tonight. Until we get to the last verse, look at verse 11. Because there's one final result out of all this. Thus the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. Read the last line with me. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his household. His house had not been chosen randomly. It was not just the closest place. Look, hey, that happened. Uzzah's dead. He's laying on the ground. What's the closest place we can go? Oh, that house right there. Who owns that house? Oh, Obed-Edom? All right, we're taking it there. This was not a random choice. 
Obed-Edom had been chosen intentionally because he was open about his faith and he was holy and he was set apart for a great responsibility and he was willing to sanctify himself and his family to honor the Lord. And here is the direct result. Verse 10 and 11 go together. Don't separate them because there's a direct result when we do that. What is it? The Lord blesses us and he blesses the people around us. Obed-Edom is an example of sanctified dedication to the Lord at a time when David's unsettled and Israel's kind of on the wrong path because they didn't do the right thing and they've been careless in their relationship with the Lord. Here's this one man who, who provides steadiness and conviction and takes on this huge calling. I will be the one. I will protect the name of the Lord. And that's an incredible example for us on how we should live. And I want to tell you, the Lord is waiting. He is waiting to use us in this way. And just as much, he's waiting to bless us when we do. You and I can be Obed-Edoms wherever we go. We can be an open example of living for the Lord. We can provide leadership in our homes so our families are blessed. We can encourage other believers and strengthen other believers to do the same thing while we're standing in our convictions wanting to influence the culture around us. And whatever's going on and whoever's in responsibility and whatever we're around, we can take this calling to be the place, to be the person where the presence of the Lord abides. And there is absolutely no question that when we do that, God will bless us.